Let us pray. Shout of the silence, mighty God, with your glad and glorious greetings. Banish all our fears and give us faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. If there is anything said from this pulpit that is against your will, let it come to naught and do no harm. But if there is anything said from this pulpit that is according to your will, let it be heard, as if sung by the voice of angels, that hearing we might believe, and believing be more loving. Amen. What's your problem? Don't you love it when someone asks you that? It's irritating. Kind of makes me want to say, well, now you are. <laughs> now you are my problem. What's your problem? The person asking that question, it seems to me, is often not seeking to be supportive, but rather combative. Nor are they the person to seek support from with your problem. What's your problem? Some problems are not real problems at all. I have a dear friend that was trying to find a way to re-energize a church. The church was in a neighborhood that had changed drastically in the last 25 years. It was an aging, predominantly white church membership, but there was a large Spanish-speaking community that had grown up around the church. Directly across the road from the church, there was a community park, and all of these families liked to get together there. It was clear they loved being out, and they loved being together. The good news for my friend, Spanish was his first language. The bad news, the church had no existing programs or even history of programs for families like these. Why don't you start a scout troop, I told him. I was thinking of the scout troop that we have here. How it is an amazing outreach to the community and helps our church to be connected with many families that we would not know otherwise. He hemmed and hawed over it. He spent some time putting me off. I kept coming back to it, convinced it was just what he needed to do. Finally, he was honest. I don't think it's a bad idea. It's just that I don't want to sell the popcorn. <laughs> and that is how the phrase, popcorn problems, was born. That we share with one another and some of my colleagues. A popcorn problem is not really a problem. It poses as a problem. The best leaders of organizations know how to identify a popcorn problem and maneuver around it. The best lives are lived by giving popcorn problems only the amount of attention that they deserve. What's your problem? The first step in solving your problem is identifying what the problem actually is. Is it a popcorn problem? Or is it something else? The ten lepers that we meet in today's text have something more serious than a popcorn problem. But what really is their problem? Can we identify it? Is it leprosy? 
Or is it something else? They're on the outskirts of town because that's what happened to people with this affliction. People with leprosy were considered unclean and outcast. We don't really know what the actual disease was, but as Ralph Wilson puts it, whatever it was, once a person caught it, it was considered incurable, and those diagnosed with leprosy were banned from society. It's interesting, though, isn't it, that they're on the border of Samaria and Galilee. This means that the text doesn't want us to know whether they're insiders from Galilee or outsiders from Samaria. The Bible wants us to know, in fact, that everyone has problems. Doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, if you're from Samaria, if you're from Galilee, doesn't matter. Everyone has problems. I can remember doing a funeral for a billionaire. He had a beautiful mansion, very expensive car collection. These were Bugattis and Ferraris and a hundred or so like them. All kept up in a secret bunker. I was able to tour this bunker after he died. Really. At the funeral, there was a painting of him set on an easel next to the casket. I'm sure he had it commissioned by a well-known artist. But the thing I remember most as I stood outside the church on that cold winter day and they rolled the casket from the church into the car, the thing I remember, his last ride was in the same hearse that everyone else got. Life evens the playing field. Doesn't matter what money you have or whether you live in Galilee or Samaria, we all have problems. What's your problem? We all come to a point in time when calling out to Jesus, like those lepers on the road did outside that village, seems like the only chance we've got. We've tried other things. We've tried to fix it ourselves, our problem. What's your problem? We've tried. Sometimes that's exactly what we need to do. Just try. We have to dig deep. We have to push through. Angela Duckworth, who's a social scientist, did extensive research on success in a variety of fields. And she says, in all very different contexts, one characteristic emerged as a significant predictor of success. And it wasn't social intelligence. It wasn't good looks physical health, it wasn't IQ, it was grit. Grit. One of the toughest things that a parent can do when their child is facing a problem is to resist the immediate urge to fix it for them. Don't steal their struggle, I've heard it said. And according to Duckworth, there's some real truth in that. But that wasn't going to work for the lepers in the story. It's not that kind of problem. It's not a popcorn problem. But it's also not the kind of problem that can just be solved with a good bit of grit. The passage, the one about these lepers and their problem, well, it's one of my favorite Bible passages. Because in it, Jesus heals all ten lepers of what they think is their problem. 
but only one of them is made whole. They think that their problem is leprosy. And that might be partly true. When the ten men are calling out from a distance, asking Jesus to have pity on them in their leprosy, Jesus tells them to go and see the priests, and they do, and they're cleansed. There's a Greek word that's used here from the word katharos, and it describes ritual cleansing. They probably thought that that was their problem, that they needed a ritual cleansing. Jesus does more than that, though. See, as we read on in the passage, the Greek uses another word for healing, the Greek word ayathe, which is a way of telling us that Jesus has not only cleansed them ritually, but healed them physically as well. All ten men were healed ritually and physically, but they don't know their real problem. Only one of them, a Samaritan, an outsider in fact, after seeing he was healed physically, comes to Jesus and offers his sincere thanks. Jesus honors his gratitude and he receives a different gift, a better gift from Jesus. Rise and go, your faith has made you well. And this is a new Greek word here, the third, sozo, which means salvation, complete wholeness, full life. The other nine thought that they were fixed, that their problem was solved, but was it? David Lowe's asks, have you ever noticed just how powerful it is not only to receive a blessing, but also to name it and give thanks for it? What if the support that we need from our problems, the real support we seek, starts with ourselves? What if the wholeness we seek is a function of the gratitude we express? What if at the end of the day, that's your problem? Gratitude. What if that's a problem that we all have? We haven't stopped, we haven't turned around, we haven't praised God with a loud voice for what we have, for what we all have. And because we haven't, every problem that we think we have is magnified. Magnified like a new pastor facing the daunting challenge of selling popcorn. If I knew... Then, what I know now, though, I don't think a scouting program or any program would be at the core of my advice for him or any pastor looking to re-energize a church. I think I would advise him to see the support that he was seeking as a function of the gratitude that he showed to God and the church he served. I would advise him to develop a culture of gratitude in the church. In the leadership boards. In the committees and small groups and service projects. I would advise him to help people establish a posture of gratitude 
not just in their way of being church, but in their families and with their friends and their places of work. That, I would tell them, is a much better way of re-energizing a church. Tell them that you love them and that you're grateful for them. Just like I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the staff here. Aren't you? Are we so lucky? How did we turn out like this? I'm grateful for you. I started back here one year ago this month. Yeah, that's, I, I feel like, yeah. And, but here's the thing. I think, and I said this last week, God is doing something, re-energizing something, and I'm grateful. You're an amazing group of people. You're steadfast in your posture of worship. You're hopeful in your approach to service. You're sincere in your desire to form your faith. You actually are pretty easy to love. I know. So thank you. Thank God. Amen.